Welcome to the Brown County Hour Halloween Special. This is Dave Seastrip. And Jim Lemon, along with the rest of the crew. We have a collection of spooky stories to share with you in this podcast. Some are from previous episodes of our show, and some are brand new. And all of them come from the hills and hollers of Brown County. We have an interview with paranormal investigator Matthew Jackson. And throughout the episode, he will fill us in on a skeleton in his closet, literally, an investigation at Fox Hollow Farms, and an experience with Henry Dixon, who passed away in 1908. Along the way, we'll hear from Hondo Thompson in his spooky reading of What's He Building in There? The Firehouse Follies join us for their performance of the radio theater piece Southern Gothic, and we finish with local author Deborah Bowden's original story called Slugs. This is Chuck Wills here in the studio with Dave Seastrom. Hi, Dave. Hi. And we have back with us today paranormal investigator Matthew Jackson. Hey, how's everyone doing? Great. Great to have you here. Thanks for coming in. Well, we, uh, we had a very interesting conversation with you a year ago. Yes. And uh, at that time, we were talking about the Knights of Pythias, mm-hmm. which is st- still kind of cracks me up that they had a skeleton as part of their uh, initiation or rituals or whatever, and somehow you have ended up with this skeleton. Yes, I, I do still have the skeleton. I have not made any progress as far as like trying to get the, the skeleton identified or, or anything like that. But I, um, uh, I have gotten busted by my wife now. <laughs> so she knows <laughs> That now. was an issue a year now. ago. That, yeah, yeah, it was like my, my, my big secret. But uh, So we, she went looking for your baseball cards and found a skeleton? or. <laughs> We we were doing some home remodel stuff, and I have the skeleton in a trunk that's in the uh, back of a little storage uh, room that we have, and it's under a staircase, so it's a low ceiling, so she's a little bit shorter than I, so she was back there finding like cans of paint, and all of a sudden, she sees the trunk, and her head spins exorcist style, and she goes, what's in there, dead body? I'm like... <laughs> Uh, yes, <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, there is. <laughs> well, what's left of it? What's left of it? And she never brought it up again. Never said another word. We just like went on with life. <laughs> so, okay, so she didn't take it to the next level. Like how dead or uh, no? Uh, yeah, or uh, I'm calling the police. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, obviously you're married to a saint. Uh, obviously, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, we love having you in, especially this time of year when people start to think about, um, you know, things that go bump in the night. And I know you've done a lot of uh, paranormal investigations. You do a lot of EVPs. I've uh, followed your blog on your website with a lot of the recordings. Um, So why don't you just give us an update on some of the, the recent things you've been doing? Well, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a place called Fox Hollow Farm. Oh, yeah. Fox Hollow Farm is on the north side of Indianapolis, and it was a 18-acre estate that wound up being owned by the now-known serial killer, Herb Baumeister. 
and Herb Baumeister, they're, he's known to have at least murdered 11 gay men out of the Indianapolis gay bar scene and yeah. quite possibly could be connected to 16 other murders, I think, of young gay men that were found kind of strewn between Indianapolis and Columbus, Ohio, which I think they dubbed him the I-70 killer. But I think there's been a couple I-70 killers in history, but uh, they think that Herb Baumeister may have actually been that person as well, because coincidentally, the man had business between Indianapolis and Ohio, Ohio at that time. Uh, but anyhow, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Herb's house and I, I conducted some experiments and recorded some pretty chilling EVPs, one of which said uh, the killer which wow. really, really got my attention. But of late, I've had the opportunity to go into a place, downtown Annapolis, which his, it's in a historic building that you know used to be a pharmacy and a string of taverns. Uh, but for a long time, it was known as the Eagle 501, which was a, a leather bar in the Indianapolis uh, you know, gay bar scene for a few decades. And I found out that there was actually a connection between that place and Herb. So I've had the opportunity to go in there and I've conducted a few experiments. And in some of my, my ITC captures, I've actually got the name of Herb Bauermeister. And I even asked one time if Herb was actually in that space. And it said, no, Herb is at Fox Hollow Farm. So, wow. oh, okay. yeah, yeah. so uh, tell us what is ITC? ITC, I'm sorry, is instrumental trans communication. Okay. That is where you're using electronic devices, uh, digital recorders, okay. uh, sweeping radio devices, anything that creates uh, something of that you can't see ethereally, theoretically to construct speech with, or like I said, digital recorder, just you know, recording a voice out of thin air. So okay. uh, it's kind of a, uh, several things are umbrellaed under ITC. Okay. Yeah. So you're basically using electronics. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So like you're, this is like fishing, only different, right? You set up the equipment, you, you know, you try to get there at a quiet time. And mm -hmm. are we talking about the middle of the night or is this still a functioning bar? No, no, it's 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 been closed down since I believe 2016. Okay. So right now there's nothing in that space. All right. Uh, but yeah, you try to find the most quiet time that you can. I mean, simply to try not to contaminate the recordings, sure. you, you know, as much. So. Yeah, so yeah, it's a little bit like fishing or uh, hunting, I suppose, to go in and sit there and just kind of. Uh, immerse yourself in the environment and take note of the the sounds that you would naturally hear in like a space you know the ac units everything mm -hmm. popping off and on or the floor creaking and popping and then you know after spending some time there and taking some baseline readings to see if you know there's anything electrical or mechanical that could be causing like claims of a phenomena and once you kind of go through and you make a list of that and then you, you kind of throw everything else at it and just see if anything pops up that you really just can't explain away and I've been in lots of spaces where I've been able to explain things away so the only thing I really take note of are the times I'm like wow this one has really got me because this is really 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 weird or different so okay. I'm, I'm trying to get this mental picture you're sitting there are you alone 
Uh, sometimes, but not all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll have like a group of people sometimes that I'll, I'll work with okay. as well. And we'll all have different various equipment that we're monitoring and, you know, recording with video, audio, trying to cover as much as the building as possible. But whenever we're doing like recordings for like the EVPs and so forth, like it's like everyone has to be in the room. Everyone has to be accounted for. So you don't get, you know, somebody coughing, uh, you know, upstairs, right. you know, messing you up. Now, EVP. Electronic voice phenomena, right. which fall, falls under the ITC that I mentioned. Right. Yeah, so. Okay. Matthew, I had this mental image of you alone in this creepy spot, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, Herb shows up, or, or you know. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just having a hard time picturing being relaxed in that setting. Well, I'm not very smart, so things uh, <laughs> things don't like seem to scare me like they probably should. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, you know, I know all of this sounds crazy because it's so theoretical. But at the end of the day, I'm really dismissive with a lot of my experiences because even though I record really weird things, I'm also really skeptical. And you know, and just because you know, maybe I'll catch a voice that says, "Hey, I'm a serial killer." What, who really said that? I mean, it's hard and it's hard to trust someone that tells you something from across the table, you know, right to your face, let alone you recre- record a mysterious voice out of thin air. It's like, how do you believe what, it, you know, what it's saying is true? Or, you know, sure. how can you really, you can't really define that as, you know, an actual ghost when you can't even define what a ghost is. There's it's just ideas, you know? I have not done EVPs. Mm-hmm. So if I were to hear that, there'd be a certain shock factor around that. I think, it, you know, to a point, you must get used to that. It becomes normal. And so you're able to focus more on the context of what you're hearing rather than the shock of, oh my goodness, there's a voice. Yeah. Usually when I, I have those moments, it's because it is so like, concrete and relevant to the space the history um or you know a direct answer to a question uh especially like with the the ghost box devices you know if you just hear a bunch of random chatter then it's like you can maybe sort of try to create a narrative to make mm-hmm. it fit what you're doing, which doesn't really help the cause. But when you hear something that's like your name, a curse word or something to do with like the yeah. location, and it's like it, that has nothing to do with, you know, what might be on the, the, the radio frequencies. You know? Yeah. So when you're at the 501 and they say that Herb is at Fox Hollow, uh-huh. that's... Uh... That is one of those moments like th- yeah. th- that was made every bit of effort worth it because that is something that is just mind-blowing to me you know yeah seriously mm-hmm. so in yeah. totality though i mean so you uh, probably have hours and hours and hours of recordings to, i do to do this yeah so what do you think out of all of that how much uh how much material do you end up with that convinces you that this is paranormal well of the hours and hours that I have of recordings, uh, there are a lot of things that, uh, like I said, I, I, that I could that definitely wind up on the cutting room floor because okay. it's just nothing that really jumps out at me. But when you get something that is like direct and relevant, uh, it makes me believe that there's definitely something there that I can't explain away. But to try to define it is nearly impossible. You know, not with the the means and the methods that we we currently have. So. Um, 
I'm, I'm a skeptical believer. I believe there's something weird there. There's something unexpl- that's unexplainable for now. I don't know what it is, but I'm always really reluctant to throw labels at something because of, you know, try not to sound crazy. Well, I guess, <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's probably a little too late for that. So. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is kind of one of those hobbies that, yeah, you know, it's, I mean, you know, it's some, on the fringe, right? Yeah, some yeah. people are into flying kites, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, where I was going is so, like, you know, you have 100 hours of recordings uh, and you end up with 10 minutes of something really spectacular, or is that. Sometimes, sometimes even less. Sometimes it might be just like one word or one phrase that okay. is something that really gets your attention. You you wind up walking away with, uh, you know, very little data that you could actually present a lot of times as what some people would call as evidence. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's just like a, a personal experience you might have that you, you really can't even have captured or have a way to present it, you know. But, uh, you know, like I, I've been pushed, I've been uh, seemingly scratched, uh, and I've, I've observed some things that are pretty mind-blowing, but none of that was ever recorded or documented beyond the, the personal experience. Well, that's interesting. The thought of a ghost pushing you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah, um, yeah. telekinesis, so to speak. Or why do you hear footsteps, you know, right, sometimes? Right. Like, what's creating how, that? Yeah, what's right. creating that? Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, there's so much. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the stone tape theory where, yeah. uh, like, just residual energy of, like, day-to-day lives gets, like, built up in, in uh, immaterial objects. And sometimes the energy will just play out and kind of repeat itself. And a lot of people think that kind of explains a way of, lot of what people think is like a haunting, you know? Well, that's just as out there as whether it was a ghost or not. Yeah, but it's... Residual energy in an object, I mean... It, it seems a little less of a stretch for a lot of people in thinking it's the, you know, disembodied or disincarnate, you know, personality of great-great-grandma <laughs> stomping around the house, right. too, right. you know? Right, right. Yeah. I guess that, right, so that plays into comfort zone, but it's still <laughs> right. it's still a phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, true, true, yeah. You know. One of the uh, spaces I had the opportunity to go into was an old sewing factory. And um, th- this factory made like parachutes, uniforms, and so forth for soldiers during World War One, World War Two, and so the place had a crazy history. But the people who bought it, they were redoing it and creating like office spaces and so forth. And I was not there. I was there looking at space for a business. I was not there, you know, doing anything weird. And they brought up how in the middle of the night. Uh, when they were there working on the space, how they could hear uh, the laughter of seemingly the women that used to work in the sewing factory echo through the building at times. And wow. so, you know, was that was there some intelligence behind that? Or was that just kind of like, you know, the built up emotion that may have somehow been captured in that space? Right. Yeah. yeah. And it was nothing that scared them. And but I just found found it really interesting. I'm not sure. I I think I would find it disconcerting if I was remodeling a huge space in the middle of the night and hearing laughter that I couldn't account for. (laughs) That would be unsettling to me. Oh, yeah. Probably some people. Yeah, it could definitely hit you that way. You know, but they they seemed excited about it. Well, better than screaming. 
<laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You know, given a choice. Yeah, at least they're happy, right? Right. right. Yeah. right. They're not looking at you like the next meal or something. Huh? Right, but it, you know, it's not the the location of tragedy. It's not the location right. of like death. I mean, it seemingly may have been like a, a pleasant <laughs> workspace or something, you know, or or people were excited to be a part of the cause. So either so. either the space has residual memory, uh-huh. or these deceased souls occasionally get together for um, good times and laughter or something. Possibly. Yeah. Or, yeah. or there's a thinning of the veil that where the laughter that's happening elsewhere leads through to air. Ah, well, there you go. What's he building in there? What? What what the hell is he building in there? He has subscriptions to those magazines. Never waves when he goes by. He's hiding something from the rest of us. He keeps to himself. Yeah. I think I know why. He took down the tire swing from the old pepper tree. He has no children of his own, you see. He has no dog. He has no friends. And his lawn is dying. And what about all those packages he sends? What's he building in there? With that hook light on the stairs. What's he building in there? I'll tell you one thing. He's not building a playhouse for the children. What's he building in there? And what's that sound from underneath the door? He's pounding nails into a hardwood floor, and I swear to God I heard someone moaning low. And and I keep seeing the blue light from a TV show. And he has a router and a table saw, and you won't believe what Mr. Stitcher saw. There's poison underneath the sink, of course. There's enough formaldehyde to choke a horse. What is he building in there? What the hell? What the hell is he building in there? I heard he has an ex-wife in some place called Mayor's Income, Tennessee. And he used to have a consulting business in Indonesia. building in there he has no friends but he gets a lot of mail you know I bet he spent a little time in jail I heard he was up on the roof last night signaling with a flashlight 
What's that tune he's always whistling? What's he building in there? What's he building in there? We have a right to know. question I have now is, all right, Herb Baumeister mm-hmm. was active in the early, mid-90s. Right. And there have been a number of investigations around his property. Local filmmaker made a film about it. Uh, apparently, a lot of people have had experiences. So I- I'm curious, with your experience, what was it like? Was it more than just voices? You know, there was a certain reverence I felt, you know, being there, knowing the the tragedies that happened there. And, you know, this is where the the paranormal and my conscience really kind of duke it out at times because, you know, there's so much of, you know, the tragedies, especially you're looking at, you know, early to mid nineties. I mean, that really is not that long ago. Um, because I was, you know, super cool and listening to Pearl Jam and Nirvana during that period of time, you know? <laughs> yeah, me I too. mean, it was not that long ago <laughs> in, in, in my my worldview. Yeah. And so I, I never want anything I do to feel exploitive uh, to the victims. And, and, you know, especially something that is not a tragedy that happened 200 years ago or so, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I was there, I, I wanted to be real careful on, you know, the way that I was even proposing, you know, the questions when I was doing like the EVP sessions, being there, knowing what happened, I, I just really did not want to uh, do anything that would seem like disrespectful to the families and, and to know that there were at least, I think maybe four to five of the remains that were there are still unidentified to this day. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, you know, talking to the guy that currently owns the place, you know, any bone fragments that he finds, anything that he still, you know, to this day, he would run down to the University of Indianapolis to their forensics department because it's still like an open, ongoing case. But then there's also the side of me that's like, if any of these experiments that I'm doing have any type of credibility to them whatsoever, if there was a chance that maybe I could record a name or mm-hmm. something that could tie to that, um, you know, I, that's pretty exciting too. Not that it would be looked at as credible, but maybe somebody would be willing to investigate it to see if that name would, would be right. connected to anyone who disappeared, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I was pretty open when I was there, but at the same time, it's so unusual to actually be in the home of a, a serial killer, right. a, ser- a building, yeah. a structure that still stands. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really was kind of a surreal uh, feeling for me. And I, I felt like I was trying to toe some sort of line, you know? Okay. Well, do, do, do people currently live there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they okay. do. Are they able to have a normal life? <laughs> or is it creepy? My my impression from because I, I I spoke to the homeowner yeah. and super nice guy, uh-huh. um, but it did not seem like he would allow himself to really immerse his imagination or open himself up to the the possibility of his place being haunted. 
Okay. Uh, he was totally aware of what happened there. He has a, an unbelievable like um, scrapbook mm-hmm. of the the history of the house, and he has all kinds of crazy pictures from like the when the police were there, the crime scene. Uh, he has all of that, and he like I said, I think he seemed a little shut down to it, but his wife seemed to be on a different page. She's okay. the one who has had all kinds of experiences, has seen like uh, partial apparitions walking through the property and have had experiences in the, in the home. Uh, she was not there for me to talk to. I just talked to the husband, but mm-hmm. uh, she's been interviewed on television and he was pretty open about her, you know, having these experiences. And he wasn't dismissive. He wasn't dismissive of any of this, but I think, you know, his house and he didn't want anything to like mess with his head. So it was just, you know, it, it wasn't a thing for him. Yeah. 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 He, he lives in a slightly different universe than that. Right. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, uh, I'm not sure I would be attracted to a, a real estate that uh, had such history attached to it. Beautiful property, beautiful home, and I hope they got a beautiful deal. Yeah. <laughs> that's all well, I can say. Yeah, no, that, no, that's the Corvette that was, you know, yeah. that had the body in it for 10 years. But, you know. <laughs> right. Right, right. right. I mean, it, yeah, beautiful yeah. car, but it kind of has that smell, right? Right. Uh, yeah. No, that that all seems a little beyond the pale to me. Uh, yeah. yeah. The thing that really, really struck me, because uh, I believe uh, it might be smaller now, but I think when Herb owned it, it was 18 acres. Mm-hmm. And if you guys would see how close he put the bodies to the house. Oh. Really? Yeah. You have 18 acres of, you know, rolling hills, not really hills, but, you know, it's a rolling, uh, you know, property. Um, I mean, literally like on the edge of the yard, I mean, barely into the woods. Uh, And the police took that as a sign of someone who has killed often and was completely comfortable with it and was by no means concerned about getting caught. Wow. Yeah. So that was one thing that really jumped out. Like it was right there. No way. It, that that was really one of the most intense realizations that I had when I was there. Yeah, that would change my attitude about the flower garden. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you would think that, that he would have like drugged these poor guys like you know <laughs> several acres away, you know. Sure. But sure. he didn't. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe he was just lazy. So I'll well, call it no, that well <laughs> it's actually it's called dead weight for a reason. You know, it's extremely Granted. difficult to carry a 200-pound person who has died because there's no purchase. Hmm. If you yeah. have a 200-pound board, you could balance it on your shoulder, right? So I can picture, I mean... Well, um, rather than delve into that, yeah. uh, <laughs> moving so, right so, along. So, Matthew, I mean, you've been doing this for quite a while, um, and you've had a, num- a number of experiences. So, just what is your opinion? What What do you personally think you're experiencing when you hear something that you can't explain? You know, I really started off wanting the the um, the whole romanticized idea of this is a location where tragedy happened, and because of that, the person 
the victim or whomever is stuck there because they're confused and they don't know how to move on and so on and so forth. And so that's why a place is haunted. And so you go there and you can have these brief interactions and you get a glimpse of maybe what happened in that moment or happened to this person. And so I, I, I really wanted to be able to put a neat little bow on that and say, okay, I got this figured out. But the longer I've done it, the more confusing it's, it's really became. Um, I mean, I have, um, I've had experiences now in places where there are no tragic history even associated with them. You know, just like in Columbus, Indiana, at the Crump Theater, nobody was murdered in that place. But I've been there and I've seen and observed and recorded strange things in there. So I don't know at this point how much of it really is involved, how much like history and tragedy is involved versus our intentions. Sure. How much of this do we cause and bring on ourselves? You know, if, uh, you know, thoughts are a form of energy, potentially who knows what can, you know, what, what we can might be able to manifest out of that. Um, so I think if you set your intention, if your frequency is to go out and find that type of phenomena, uh, you'll find it because it'll find you and it might actually just be uh, coming from you, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I guess where I'm, what I'm thinking about is, have you come to some personal conclusion as to uh, the afterlife, or whether you think this is residual energy, as we were talking about earlier? I mean, I found I found no answers as far as that goes. Uh, honestly, I, I don't. Uh, it, it actually has made me because I was raised Christian. And it's made me kind of step back and, and think about, you know, a, a big picture because I know there's a lot of people who get involved in the paranormal and they, uh, they try to do like this spirit rescue work. It's like, you know, these souls are trapped and we got to help move them on and, and so on and so forth. And they try to cross them over into the light of heaven or God or, or, or whatever. And, you know, in, in my mind, it's like, Okay, if if God created everything and set this all in motion, uh, why is He so irresponsible letting these souls get lost? Why doesn't Why doesn't He call <laughs> yeah, them it home? Does, it does seem irresponsible. It's like, like yeah. why Why is it my job to right. go cross over your spirits? And so <laughs> I, I just I have a hard time subscribing to that. And I think if I really thought about it too much and focused on it too much, it, I would find I would almost get disgruntled about it. So. I'm at this point just kind of satisfied with, hey, I'm getting to go into some crazy historic uh, locations, right. sure. and I, I love these spaces. Uh, I love, even if ghost stories do nothing else than preserve history that would have been lost yeah. without the ghost lore, uh, if that's all it accomplishes, I mean, I'm really, really happy about that. So I, I appreciate getting to do what I do, and if I record something that uh, freaks me out or is kind of mind-blowing, and uh, that's a bonus, you know, especially yeah. if it's something I can't explain away, especially if it's something associated with, you know, the history of the building. To me, that that's, that's pretty satisfying. Well, you know, there's uh, a lot of ancient religions that embrace the mystery and the mystical, mm -hmm. and to me, that kind of fits in with that notion. Not everything can be concrete. Well, uh, you know, whether it's reincarnation or whatever, but 
you know, uh, hearing you talk reminds me of uh, Harry Houdini and his efforts and, you know, the secret codes that he left behind that his wife very diligently pursued and Mm -hmm. were never satisfied. I got to go to a Houdini seance a few years ago. That was really interesting. Uh, and, and, and just knowing the Harry's work and, you know, busting fake mediums right. and right. the seances. But, you know, I think at the root of all his efforts was he wanted to believe so bad. Oh. And I think it was just his frustration of coming across people who were being exploited. Yeah, it was, it was sure. the loss of his mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there there are a lot of people and that do the things that I do that I feel kind of do the same thing. I think it's extremely exploitive, and that kind of creeps me out. That's why I was so concerned with going to Fox Hollow Fox Hollow Farm. You know, makes sense. Well, yeah, it sounds totally. to me like you've been totally respectful of all of this. I've tried. I've freaked myself out a couple times because I will sometimes I'll just go into a cemetery that might have some sort of like ghost folklore associated with it. And if I find myself or if my camera pans to a cemetery that it's like the uh, headstones seem seem too fresh, I'm like, I got to edit that out. I took one video off my channel down because I realized that I had uh, got on video um, somebody's like infant's uh, headstone. Oh, wow. And it just really made me feel uncomfortable, yeah. so I just yeah. I just took it down. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you do have a dead guy in your basement. Well, <laughs> assuming that. assuming he's a guy, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. A yeah. dead person. A dead. Yeah. Right. We, we've identified the species. You're convinced yeah. of that, right? <laughs> yeah, it is human. A biped, human, yeah. humanoid. Uh, right. Unfortunately, it's not that Sasquatch skeleton that I've been desperately looking for. But yeah. Well, man, right. one of these days. One of these one days. One of these days. Yeah. yeah. Tonight's radio play, Southern Gothic, is written by Tom Trent and is performed by a skeleton crew of the Firehouse Follies. Tom Trent. Ginger Curry. Becky Staff. Tony Brewer. Suzette Weekly, Mark Scrapper Blackwell. We begin our story on a crisp autumn day as sweethearts Stanley and Eula are driving south to meet Eula's family for the very first time as a couple. Eula, we've been winding through these hills for hours. Are we getting close to this old family place of yours? We're almost there. Oh, just take a left right off that paved road. And now, here, turn off on this gravel road. Watch out for that red-eyed possum! What the... Okay, not a normal possum. Sorry, I was trying to dodge that pack of crows. Murder. Beg your pardon? It's a murder of crows. Well, that's fine, honey, but do you have to say it that way? Murder. 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 (laughs) That's the spirit now, Stanley. Before you meet my family, well, there's a couple things you should know. Say no more, sweetie. All I care is that they raised the smartest, sweetest, sassiest gal in (laughs) southern Indiana. So what if we don't agree on politics? Here, take the wheel. I'm taking off my Ruth Bader Ginsburg t-shirt. Stan, what are you doing? Uh, Oh, okay, okay. I can wait. Well, it's more complicated than that. Um, how do I say this? My family, well, they're Southern Gothic. What was that? What was what? Did you just hear a rooster and a violin? (laughs) 
Never mind that. Oh, just take a left up there at Stonehead and a right at the hollow tree with the branch that looks like a mangled hand. Oh, there it is, the old family home up on the hill. Holy cow. You grew up here? I did, Stanley. Don't you love it? It's a little, uh, rustic. And what is up it, with that broken window upstairs? It, it looks like an extremely large buzzard, and it's staring right at me. Oh, just one more thing, sweetheart. When you meet my family, uh, don't mention Neil Young, Barbara Streisand, or Abraham Lincoln. Barbara Streisand? Give me a break. She won 44 Grammys. Shh, just, okay, shh. We're almost. Five Oscars. Okay, Stanley, shh. Uh, Eula, is that some kind of family cemetery there behind the wrought iron fence? Oh, never mind that. The house! It's up this way. Now, now hold on a minute. There's a gal in an old-fashioned dress over there waving to us. Well, I declare, Cousin Eula, is that you? Now, who did you bring with you? Oh, how do, Cousin Ellie? Eula, you've been away way too long. Why, Gramps was just saying, if our little sugar pie spends any more time out there with the breathers, she might never find a way back. Oh, hush now, Ellie. Now you better introduce me to this tall, handsome specimen and claim dibs before I just gobble him up from head to toe and leave nothing but a puddle of blood, clumps of hair, and a shirt-wearing notorious RBG? Eula. What on earth is a notorious RBG? Stanley, this is Cousin Ellie. Hello there. I can see good looks run in the family. Uh, <laughs> you uh, remember Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? A woman on the Supreme Court. And then what? Did the dish run away with the spoon? Or maybe this notorious woman of yours gave women the right to vote. <laughs> <laughs> you got yourself a real comedian there, Eula. What the hell was that? Oh, man, do I have a hangover? Cousin Billy, now what did you get yourself into? Oh, yeah, well, howdy there, Eula. I'm sorry for kicking up some kind of fuss there in front of company. Well, last night, Gramps Dunn asked me to see if there's any more of that kerosene down in the shed. And, well, I moseyed down there and didn't find any kerosene, but I did find three gallons of corn liquor, a jug of rubbing alcohol, and a box of something called White Zen Fiddle. Well, so I drunk up the corn liquor, and, well, then I finished off the rubbing alcohol, and about halfway through that Zen Fiddle, I found the kerosene, and you know how I get once I get a proper buzz on. I drink that, too. Oh, I, wow. Gosh. Yeah. And about that time, Gramps done found me and says, I'm drunker than a four-peckered goat and twice as stupid. So he chained me up down there to sleep it off. Billy, I find it unbecoming of a southern man to behave in such a manner in front of our guest. You must forgive us, Stanley. Billy's just not been right in the head ever since that cannonball grazed his thick skull at the Second Battle of Bull Run. Second Battle of Bull Run? Yeah. Eula, did we take a wrong turn somewhere? Right now, now, hold on. Y'all, my head feels like a pumpkin took the business end of a sledgehammer. And Ellie, 
How about a little respect for the brother who defended your honor in a duel? It was a nice try, Billy. But you missed him by nine feet and killed Uncle Clyde's prize bull. Clyde would have wrung your neck if that scalawag hadn't already planted a quarter-inch lead shot between your eyes. How about that? You have a hole straight through your head. I can see all the way to my Subaru through there. Yep. How are you walking around? Oh, and looky over here. I got some skull missing, too. Well, bless my heart and boy of my peanuts. Is that there my little honey pie over yonder? You get on up over here and give old Gramps some sugar. Oh, Gampy. I tell you... <laughs> I'm gonna now. Now, what the, where? I say, where in tarnation are my britches? Now, Eula, this here suit of yours is handsome enough, but we won't know if he's up to snuff till Gramps gives him the once-over. Oh, he's a fine specimen, I reckon. A little highfalutin with those funny spectacles and a $13 haircut, but what say I go fetch the shovel just in case I have to dig a hole next to them last two fellers you brung home? Dig a hole. Uh, uh, oh, uh, Eula, who has the keys to the Subaru? I, I thought I had him. Excuse me, everybody. It's been a real pleasure, but I think I'm just going to go. Oh, 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 oh. Where are you manners, boy? Are you just going to plow yourself into me without a proper introduction? Oh, 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 uh, oh boy. I, uh, I didn't mean to do that, Mr. Grand. Father, Grandpappy, Gramps, I, I was just going back to the car. Oh, no, you're not. You're staying right where you're at, young feller. If Scratchy, my abnormally large buzzard, has to bring you back here, you might be missing a limb or an eyeball. Be gentle now, Gramps. He has an irritable bowel. Well, I think he'd be perfectly yummy once I add my 11 herbs and spices. Keep your hands to yourself, Ellie. That's not what I meant when I said I was bringing him home for dinner. Now, y'all just hold your horses. I got a few questions for this bow of yours to see if he has any business canoodling with my granddaughter. For starters, son, tell me something about your political sympathies. Are you an ironclad defender of states' rights? States' rights? Uh, I, uh, oh, oh, ah, uh, states' rights all the way. And would you agree that we are suffering under the auspices of an illegitimate president and that our only recourse is to sever the bonds of our union? Uh, well, sir, I can't say I'm the biggest fan of Joe Biden, but it seems a little premature to just... Now, uh, just a minute. Who in the sons of biscuits is this Joe Biden? I'm talking about that gangling, jabber, john, stovepipe-wearing, rail-splitting, one-term in Congress-serving, abolitionist scoundrel, Abraham Lincoln. Stanley, I forgot to tell you that Gramps is my great-great-great-grandfather. He's, um, how shall I say, stuck in the past? Well, shoot, what does that make me? Just like me. Cousins, 143 years removed. How about that? You look Good for your age. Stop putting on airs, Ellie. Show him what you really look like. I was just being polite, honey. Didn't want to scare this one off. But if you insist... Yikes! Jesus! Your head's about to fall off. Where's your skin? Come and give me a little kiss, sweetie. Whoa! 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 Get me out of here! Stanley, come back! Don't you want to flirt with her anymore? Hey, look out there. Scratch is bearing down on you. 
911! Hello? Is this 911? This is 911. What is your emergency, sir? I've got an abnormally large buzzard chasing me. And, and there's all kinds of super weird stuff going on around here. These people, I think they're dead. Oh, except maybe my girlfriend. Honey, are you dead? I am. Stanley, I'm sorry. I meant to tell you. Sir, I'm going to need your name and address. Uh, ow! Oh, uh, Stanley Millhouse, 117 Pinewood Drive, Fruitdale, Indiana. Sir, did you say Stanley Millhouse of Fruitdale? That would be impossible. Stanley Millhouse died two weeks ago from COVID. What are you talking about? Oh, put it together, sweetheart. We met at a hospital. I was your nurse. And I'm not supposed to date patients, but you were dead. So I figured it would be okay. But I don't want to be dead. I was only on season five of Game of Thrones. I just know it's IU's year for the final four. I was just about to get the vaccine. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Anthony Grouchy, director of the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases. I don't actually care where the word Hoosier comes from. I only drove out here in a government-issued Lincoln crossover with sunroof and satellite radio to urge you, if you don't want to have the kind of day our friend Stanley is having, then get your COVID vaccination immediately. Thank you. This has been a production of the Center for Disease Control with assistance from the Trevlack Little Bond players and the Firehouse Follies. Now, can someone get me a decent hotel room that doesn't look like Davy Crockett slept in it? Well, I do want to ask you about one other thing. Um, I was on your website, and one of the videos was you were in a cemetery, and you had met somebody in an EVP. It may have been in a tunnel. And you actually helped take them to the cemetery? Quite possibly the weirdest thing that made me second guess anything I've ever done is okay. associated with exactly what you're talking about. Okay, well, give, give us the summary on that. Uh, I think it was like 20, um, maybe 2019, 2018. I went to Tunnelton, India. it may have been 2017, actually. COVID made me lose a year. Yeah. Uh, I went to Tunnelton, Indiana, which Tunnelton is south of Bedford. And the town of Tunnelton was basically formed because that's where they built the big tunnel, which is like the longest train tunnel in the state of Indiana. And there was uh, a murder that happened on uh, in that tunnel. Um, a, a night watchman by the name of Henry Dixon. Uh, one night, like some girls were getting uh, accosted or harassed by some workers. And, you know, he was the night watchman. He put a stop to it. And it seems like the theory is that those guys had some beef with him after he uh, put an end to whatever they were up to. And a couple nights later, he was murdered in the tunnel. His head was was bashed in and he was placed on the tracks to try to make it look like I think they're hoping a train would hit right. him uh-huh. and uh, you know and cover up you know what actually happened so it's one of you you look up like most haunted places in the state of Indiana you know the big tunnel pops up and I, I always have a thing I just want to check out like every haunted spot in the state of Indiana 
And so uh, my dad and I, one time, we had a chance. We went to uh, that part of Indiana. We walked the entire tunnel, and like halfway through, I stopped, and I did a EVP session. And I felt like I recorded like a kind of a hush hush voice that was replying to me. Uh, but I, I didn't really have a chance to do an audio review until later I went and I cleaned up the audio and I hear something about, you know, let me out of here. And it said, I'm Henry. I knew there was a guy that was murdered in the big tunnel, but I didn't know his name was Henry Dixon at the time until I did some, you know, later research. And, um, so here's this 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 voice saying I'm Henry. I'm like, man, that is really really cool and creepy, man. I get this this name, yeah. and it's associated with a murder. Well, after that, for like the next two years or longer, every place I went, no matter where it was, any device I used, I would get the name Henry Dixon come through it, and it, I I would ask for a name. It's a Henry Dixon. And I'd say, where did I meet you, Henry? The big tunnel. I, I've captured this multiple times, you know, throughout, you know, different places I've been. I even caught it in Step Cemetery. Uh, just all kinds. I mean, it's just like weird. And it started making me second guess, like, you know, does this guy just know, like, when I'm online, like yeah. Facebook yeah, Messenger, right. Right. and he's, like, sending me messages? <laughs> is he in the tunnel? Right. Is he is he on my back? Yeah. You know, what what's happening? And so it really started getting my attention, obviously. And then I started getting these replies like, you're ignoring me. And I, and I had no idea if that was really connected to like Henry Dixon or not. But it was uh, a couple summers ago, I was in my backyard and I was messing with some of my devices and I turned it on and this chatter started to come through and this Henry Dixon, uh, you know, said his name again. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to play along with this and Henry and I are going to have a talk and I'm going to try to figure out, you know, what his deal is or what I'm supposed to do or if he's with me or what. And so, you know, and I, 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 I did my usual checks to make sure that I'm not like uh, totally crazy. I'm like, what color is my shirt? Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you're here, they should be able to see me. And I rarely ever wear anything besides black because what I do, but I had on a yellow shirt that day and clear as day, it said yellow shirt. And I'm like, oh, this is real. There's something really weird is happening right now. And so anyway, this Henry character, I, I'm asking, is there something I can do for you? Whatever. And I got a message that said, you know, help me return. I think it said, help me return to her. And which I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know, and how do I facilitate that? Right. And so after, you know, was getting some help with some research, I found out that Henry's entire family is buried around the Dixon Chapel in Fort Rittner, Indiana, in the Proctor Cemetery. That's where his wife is buried. And I thought, well, maybe he wants to go to his wife. You know, if he's with me, I guess I got to give him a ride. <laughs> right, 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 right. And so I one day went to the Rittner Cemetery. I drove out there and I set up some of my devices. And the weirdest thing about it, and this is where, like, you know, the metaphysical rubber hits the, the skeptical road in my mind. I pulled up in that cemetery, parked my Jeep, and... This, the older section of that cemetery, which it's, it's quite large, you know, with the really tall, like the obelisk type, right. you know, right. stones everywhere. I knew exactly where Henry Dixon was buried. I walked straight to his marker, which, I mean, it freaks me out to this day uh, to even talk about it. I knew exactly where it was. I was like wow. drawn to it. And yeah. I walked straight to it, past all these other headstones, st straight to Henry's. 
and it still freaks me out. You know, I, I don't understand how that happened, but I just knew where he was. And so I set up my equipment around there and I got uh, several thank yous and I was basically told that I could never return. So it's like, you don't have to tell me twice. And I've never heard uh, from Henry Dixon or the name Henry Dixon come through any of my devices since. Have you ever thought that you might be empathic? Uh, not till that moment. <laughs> and that really, uh, really freaked me out. And the other thing that really caught my attention that I did not know until I was standing there is, uh, Henry Dixon was a member of the Knights of Pythias. Oh my God. Which kind of tied oh, into oh, the whole Snowden thing. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, wow. he, now we're going. Now, he had the now, KP, yeah. I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. Do I have Henry yeah. Dixon's skeleton in my basement? <laughs> not really, but yeah, well, yeah that really yeah, what surprised is, me. What is buried beneath the headstone then, right? Yeah, right, right. right. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't advise trying to find out. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's something really just kind of redemptive feeling about that story mm -hmm. that um, closing a chapter of somebody else's book, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Well, and I even wrote on my blog about that piece. It's like, you know, because I've had this resistance to thinking that there's anything that I could do to actually assist, you know, some ethereal personality or, or you know, a ghost or anything like that. I, mm -hmm. I kind of just crossed that, you know, out of the realm of possibilities of anything I was willing to entertain. And here I had this, this thing, this person that just like would not let it go and it's yeah. like i mean if you're looking to me to be some sort of solution i mean there's probably you know 50 you know ghost hunters a day that walk through that tunnel why sure. why is this a thing you know yeah. and uh so it 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 really like kind of rocked me back on my heels about the whole process so yeah. uh, i i find it amazing and it, it happened uh and i really hope it doesn't happen again <laughs> well <laughs> right. matthew i right, would right. i would propose that there was something special about you i i don't know i don't know well you know they're talking yeah. to you they, they they're choosing to do that right whoever they are whatever they are right right yeah so you know like you talk about a lot of ghost hunters i mean I think most of us have spent some time with a Ouija board and, mm -hmm. you know, um, that's not always, uh, that doesn't really reveal much on the other side of the veil more often than not. Right. But, well, there's a reason I don't Ouija anymore, Dave. Is there? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you had, you've had some creepy Ouija. I love when Ouija's a verb. Yeah, <laughs> right. It exactly. was man. It to was. Ouija, have Ouija. Yeah, am Ouija ink. Was my life, you know, pre Ouija. <laughs> well, Ouija's yeah. and wedges. You just don't want to <laughs> yeah. go there. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for coming in. We love to have you yeah. on the show. So, I, I always entertain. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, so keep us posted on the future. I will. And you've left us with plenty to think about. <laughs> This is Vera Grubbs, retired member of the Brown County Hour production crew, now just freelancing. Today, I'm pleased to introduce to you Deborah Bowden, our homegrown author. She will enchant us with a horror story appropriate for the month of October. Slugs. Velvet, what are you digging at? Miss Ellie Stubbs looked over the deck railing at her cat, who continued to meow and paw at something in a hole near the foundation. She gripped the handrail, 
took one step at a time until she reached the ground and tottered through the heavy summer dew toward her black cat. She gazed down into the baseball-sized hole and shuddered at the sight of a coiling and uncoiling gray slug. Ellie had removed many such creatures, both big and small, from her garden plants over the years, but she'd never seen one like this. It had black lines and yellow spots on its back. She couldn't see its head because it was buried in a tunnel, as if trying to escape the cat's attention. Good Lord, have mercy, Velvet. You get away from that thing. It's as big as my thumb and as long as my knit needles. It might be dangerous. Get away. Get away now. Ellie tried twice to push her cat away with her foot, but he was stubborn and returned both times to swatter the mollusk. His left paw was coated in thick mucus where he had touched it. Exasperated, she grabbed her cat and took him inside, then returned to examine the slimy thing. Ellie didn't think that slugs were aggressive, but this one was. She poked at it with a small twig to get a better look, and the creature attacked it. Surprised, she let go and fled into the house. Velvet sat on the kitchen table, licking at the slime on his paw when she entered, but he couldn't get it off. He just spread the mucus to his whiskers and mouth. Ellie took a washcloth, soaked it in vinegar, and been wiping his face and paw. The muck clunk to his fur, but the vinegar loosened it enough to pull it off in sticky strings, like pulling rubber glue off fingers. Velvet tried to escape the cleaning, but Ellie was afraid to let him go until the last of the slime was off. Well, I think between the two of us we got most of that stuff off. How about a treat? Ellie hugged her cat and gave him some canned food. He ate a few bites, then vomited his food, mixed with slime. It dangled half in and half out of his mouth. He shook his head in an attempt to get it off, but vomited more of the sticky mucus was coated his mouth and nose. He couldn't breathe. She pulled it off his face and cleaned him up again. The rest of the day, she kept a close watch on him, but he didn't vomit anymore. Near sundown, Ellie took a bowl of dry food out front for a stray cat that had adopted her. He wasn't waiting by the door as usual, so she called and looked around. She spotted a lump by her daylilies and went to investigate. It was Peaches. He was dead his mouth, nose, and paws coated in slime and vomit. Ten-inch slugs crawled over his body, feeding on his corpse. The sight sickened her. She grabbed a container of salt from her cupboard and sprinkled it on the cat and slugs. How about a little return payment, you disgusting things? I hope the salt hurts when it kills you. Ellie watched until a mollusk stopped moving. Then she brought out her kitchen tongs, wrapped in plastic to avoid the mucus, and pulled off the repulsive creatures. She threw their carcasses into the grass. She put Peaches' body in a bag and set it inside the garage. She planned to bury him come morning. She re-entered her kitchen and turned on the television so that the noise would keep her mind off Peaches. It was time for her evening snack, and she was hungry. But when she lifted the lid off of her pot of noodle soup, the sight made her nauseous. Ellie opted for hot tea instead and decided to sit outside. She changed her mind as soon as she opened the back door. Slugs were everywhere. Two clung to the storm door. One inched its way up the brick wall on the left. Another sat on the doormat where she almost stepped. And six more crawled across the deck boards. Their trails crossed each other so many times that the floor glistened with slime. She retreated inside and slammed the door in time to catch snippets from a short news report on the slugs that had biologists concerned. It seemed that the muggy weather, mild winter, 
and heavy summer rainfall created the problem. There was an overpopulation of slugs, and the ones with yellow spots were the most aggressive. These weren't indigenous and may have entered the state on imported plants. However, all were dangerous. The newscasters warned people to keep their animals away from both the mollusk and their slime trails. Ellie heard 20,000 teeth capable of biting, stretched 20 times their length to get through narrow openings, 10 inches long, carry 10 times their weight, and eat 40 times their weight a day. Ingesting the slugs or the slime caused vomiting and possible death. Ellie was too panicked to hear the rest. She rushed through the house looking for Velvet. He wasn't in his favorite spot, lounging on her bed under the window. She found him behind a chair. His plaintive mew told her something was wrong, but she didn't know if he was sick or scared. He seemed healthy but tense. Knowing he hadn't eaten anything since morning, Ellie tempted him with a piece of chicken, his favorite food, but he wouldn't eat. When she tried to hold him, he wiggled away and ran to the window, pawed at the curtains. What's wrong with you? Do you want to look out? I won't let you out, so that's out. It's not going to happen. Velvet mewed over and over. He poked his head behind the material and pounded on the windowpane with both paws in rapid succession, claws beating a frantic clack, clack, clack on the glass. Ellie pulled back the curtain over her bed and gasped. Slugs covered the screen. Two had already oozed through the screen to the glass itself and were testing the window frame. Velvet, you knew. They're trying to get in the house. She rushed from window to window. Slugs were on all the screens. She turned on the outside lights. Slugs covered the glass and front porch. Ellie grabbed her cell phone to call 911. It took her several tries as her shaking fingers could not hit the right numbers. I wish I'd set this thing up so I only had to hit one button. It's ringing, Velvet. It's ringing. I hope they believe me and not laugh at me. Just because I'm old? No. The police didn't laugh. They told her their phones were ringing nonstop and they couldn't respond to all the emergencies. Things are pretty aggressive, ma'am. Stay away from them as they bite and they eat flesh. We think they crossbred with some foreign species, maybe a ghost slug. They eat flesh. In the last 24 hours, they've attacked four locals and one man is reported dead. Pets are especially vulnerable. We have over 60 dead right now from slime suffocating them. Do not allow your cat or dog to eat them as they will vomit the slime. Should I leave? I don't have any family to go to. Leaving won't help. We have a statewide infestation and other areas are reporting problems too. Only cold weather will drive them underground to hibernate. Right now, only salt will kill them. I think they're trying to get into my house. Why? Why? I don't want to alarm you, ma'am, but they could be after a pet if you have one. Or you. Food is food. Well, you have alarmed me. What can I do? Make sure all your doors and windows are closed tight and put salt on the windows. It will be safer to stay awake tonight rather than sleep. Keep checking any possible openings, including drains. If it don't have salt, smash any that get in, but don't let your hand or foot touch the slime. Keep all pets away. What do you mean don't sleep? For how long? These things are nocturnal will hide come daylight when the dew dries off. Then I suggest you stock up on salt, if you can find any in town, and cover your yard and all inside areas. We've had exterminators working around the clock since yesterday, spraying salt on buildings. Crop dusters arrive tomorrow to spray from the air. You can do this also if you have a sprayer. 
I have one in the garage, but I can't get to it, and I don't have much salt. Can anyone come help me or bring me some salt? I'm disabled, and I'm 74. I'm sorry, ma'am, but we're overextended right now. You're on your own, at least for tonight. Good luck. Ellie put down her phone and picked up her cat. I don't know what to do, Velvet. I poured a lot of her salt on peaches. I don't have much to put around all the places, he said. I'll do what I can. Maybe a thin line will keep him away from a night. I'm going to pour salt water all over your fur, so don't hate me. I don't know what I'd do if I lost you. Ellie filled a spray bottle with salt water. She sprayed around the windows, doors, and drains. Then she sprayed both Velvet and herself. I'm so tired, Velvet. I've got to sleep a little bit, but I think we're safe. I'm going to barricade us in a chair and put salt all around the chair and on the floor. I'm putting a leash on you so you'll stay in my arms when I sleep. Ellie dozed off. She mumbled, Salt itches, doesn't it, baby? Velvet meowed as if an answer and closed his eyes. He didn't sleep. His ears swiveled, listening for any sound. Ellie had forgotten about the dryer vent. It was low to the ground on the outside wall by the deck. Only a thin, flexible aluminum hose separated it from the dryer. And slugs have 27,000 teeth. Thanks for tuning in to the Brown County Hours 2021 Halloween Special. You can find out more about Matthew Jackson on his website, paraholics.com. And you can tune in to all of our Brown County Hour episodes at browncountyhour.com or on your favorite streaming service. As always, you can catch us on the radio on WFHB, and we thank them and the Brown County Inn for making all of this possible.